What a privilege it is to be able to bring you the stories of the innovative orthopedic surgeons across the world. And, and this episode is about Stephen Goldberg. Uh, he's an orthopedic sports medicine specialist, shoulder specialist, who did our favorite shoulder uh, fellowship with uh, Bill Levine at Columbia uh, in private practice down in Florida. Saw an, uh, an idea from a total knee replacement that sort of gave him the light bulb to maybe try that in shoulder replacement and in the innovative entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit of the ortho show, which we love so much, he basically went into his kitchen and started developing a total shoulder replacement, took it through the FDA clearance, went through the financials, got backing, and now he's five years in. It's really a great story, the classic story of how you build something, about how you have to be able to move forwards knowing that there are going to be times when it doesn't go exactly as planned. I know you're going to like this episode. So what happens when you come on the Pitch Pro from the Ortho Show? Well, you can ask Kevin Rocco from BioRes. Three weeks later after coming on our show, he's FDA cleared for his device. And next thing you know, he's at the AOSSM Anna meeting with us in Nashville, and he wins the ACE Innovative Medical Device Award. That's what we're talking about. Matthew Ray Scott, Vin Dasa, Joe Mullings in the fro, checking out what you bring to the show we give you analysis, we break it down, we give you advice. Who's up next? The Pitch Pro from the Ortho Show podcast. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. Today is absolutely no exception. We bring you Dr. Steven Goldberg, who's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine, and shoulder specialist in private practice in Naples, Florida. Uh, he is two of my favorite things, and that is an innovator and an entrepreneur, and I am very excited to hear his story. And uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, fantastic. So, you know, I always do my research here on the Ortho Show, and I try to figure out the details of people's lives. But you were a little bit of a black hole prior to uh, to college, so we want to know where you grew up. You know, tell us about uh, this whole thing, about why you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, how you got here. All right. Well, I'm originally from Clifton, New Jersey, which is right outside New York City, I grew up a relatively uh, typical suburban lifestyle, and I was uh, played football and lacrosse in high school, and then went to college at University of Virginia, and then made it back to New Jersey for medical school. Um, I really became attracted to orthopedics almost by a fluke. I, I went through my entire first and second and third years of medical school still not really knowing what specialty I wanted to go to, what area of medicine. And I had played rugby in medical school, and all the guys on the rugby team said Goldberg. And I was always referred to as Goldberg. They said, Goldberg, you're going to go into orthopedics because we all go into orthopedics. And I just wasn't really sure. Uh, but I really hadn't figured out what I wanted to do. I really had about six different areas of medicine that seemed interesting to me. But I was convinced to do a rotation. And we hadn't done uh, any orthopedics as part of our mandatory rotations in third year. So at the beginning of my fourth year, I spent a week doing orthopedics. Uh, and I was the medical student on call the first night. 
So I was there really for 24 hours on a, on a Monday, came home Tuesday morning after one day of orthopedics. And I came home that morning on a Tuesday. I called up my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and I said, I figured it out. I wanted to go into orthopedics. And I've really never looked back. It, it's a tremendous field, and I absolutely would choose it again as another area of medicine. Awesome. Now, you know, I'm hearing rugby and I'm hearing Rutgers. I'm going to throw a name out there because that's what we love to do. Steve Andriola, ring a bell by any chance? Was he in medical school with you around the same time? Orthopedic surgeon up here in Boston? Uh, I, that doesn't that name doesn't ring a bell, but but several of the guys are, and some became a, become pretty prominent orthopedic surgeons. Um, yeah, so he's uh, he's a dear friend of ours up here, and uh, but yeah, he uh, he claimed his claim to fame is definitely playing Rutgers rugby as well. I'm not sure if he was the ball or if he was actually playing, but it's all good. So um, you know, so you're bouncing around, dude. I mean, you know, you're in New Jersey. Uh, then you decide to go to University of Virginia. Then you're going back to Rutgers to the hometown uh, medical school, which is great. But your fourth year, you're deciding orthopedics. I mean, that must have been a struggle. I mean, you got into a great residency. I mean, what happened? To, like, weren't you doing like a sub I? I mean, how did you make the connections to be able to get yourself a really good residency spot so late in your decision making? So a- after doing the, the one week rotation, I ended up doing a, a one month sub I. And actually, the month that I did the sub I, we, we had to have our applications in by the end of the month. So I, I had to start asking doctors for letters of recommendation after only two weeks on the rotation. So they really didn't know me well yet, but I, I thought I made a good enough impression that I got a few nice letters of recommendation. Uh, ultimately, that led to a few interviews, and, and I was lucky enough to sneak into a residency in, in California, University of Southern California, which turned out to be a phenomenal experience. It was a great residency program, and I loved living in Santa Monica, California during those years. Um, but it was, I, I sort of squeaked in at the last minute. Absolutely. And I, I'm really lucky I did. Yeah, we we uh, we almost had an overlap. I was at Curl and Job in 95, uh, 96. And so uh, Jim Taboni, I believe, was probably also, you know, an attending at your residency. And he was one of my attendings in fellowship down in Manhattan Beach. And what a great place for a year to live. And for four years coming from the East Coast, living in Santa Monica, which is just such an amazing spot on the planet. So I'm sure that was an amazing four years for you. It was it was tremendous. Um, uh, probably the best place we've ever lived. Both my wife and I agree that I was that was our favorite spot. Yeah, no, for for sure. Really pretty, pretty amazing spot. So then you decide, OK, it looks like this shoulder thing is what you want to do. And you're going to come back east and you're going to do a shoulder fellowship at Columbia with one of our dear friends, Bill Levine, who is listening right now. We have to make sure that we get all of our information right as the, he is the official fact checker and historian for the ortho show podcast. Uh, But uh, tell us about that year. I mean, Bill's a dear friend. We were co-chief residents together, but I know him from that perspective, but I'd love to hear your perspective as to what it was like as a fellow at Columbia at that time. So, Fellowship was, I have to say, was an inter- interesting year. It was a, uh, probably the hardest working year I've ever had. At the same time, some of the most enjoyable, which often goes hand in hand, right? Like, at least for me, the, the harder I work, typically the more engaged and, and more enjoyed I am in, in what I'm doing. And that's gone through, through college and medical school and residency and fellowship. That year was, was a, a challenging year because you had a, a couple of big uh, doctors and some big personalities to work with. We had Dr. Biliani, Louis Biliani, who was the chairman of the department. And then we had right below him was, was Dr. Levine. Uh, and then we had two other attendings at the time. We had Dr. Ted Blaine and, and Dr. Chris Ahmad, uh, who all lifelong, I, I've maintained a good relationship with each of them. Uh, 
But Dr. Levine and Dr. Biliani were both tremendously busy orthopedic surgeons and, and somewhat demanding guys in terms of uh, the fellow's time and attention. Uh, we learned a lot. We, we did a lot. We sometimes uh, argued a little bit, but uh, ultimately uh, became uh, an extremely experienced uh, doctor as a, as a result. Uh, it's a year I'll never, uh, never regret, and it's certainly a lot of memories from that year. Yeah, no, fantastic. And uh, I mean, that's what it's about, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you're going to a program like that to to work with these titans in industry, and you want to learn how to operate, right? You want to learn how to do these cases so that at the end of that year and beyond your fellowship, that you're going to be ready to to be able to care for patients and be able to to manage the decisions that need to be made in the operating room. And I always say that you know, great fellowships. Uh, you know, they make they make great surgeons because they teach you how to make decisions. They don't teach you operations, but they teach you the process of operating. So I'm sure it was a tremendous year. Dr. Biliani's uh, uh, was just another powerhouse in in the industry, and I had a pleasure uh, meeting uh, and working with him as well. Let's uh, let's talk about you know something that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, you know, we, we talked to you know we talked to Bill Levine quite frequently, and he is probably the most industry agnostic person. Uh, in the country. He really doesn't like to, you know, declare his, uh, his opinion one way or the other, but we had him on the ortho show and he's like, Scott, you got to talk to this guy, Steve Goldberg. He's got this, this total shoulder thing he's doing down there. That's really unique. So it really piqued our interest. So we're happy to have you here. But before we jump into catalyst and what it's all about, you know, where, where does innovation come from for you? I mean, it, it's, it takes a lot of courage to try something new and different and go into a place where, other people are probably going to look at you and say what you're doing is wrong or try to change the way in which we do things. So so tell us where the idea or just the the, the, the concept of innovation for you, why is it so important to you and, and how have you decided to sort of make that happen? That's a, that's a big question. Um, so I think it really all starts as, as, as a practicing doctor. We, we, we do these procedures day in, day out. We, we treat these patients and we see both the good and the bad uh, of what we're doing surgically, right? We can see in our outcomes things that, that might have been done better or, or, or could be done more easily. And then technically in surgery, the same thing. And, and by doing these procedures, you know, uh, it was probably about five years into practice when these first ideas kind of came to me. I was really struggling with my total shoulder replacements. I just thought that my, my access to the glenoid was difficult. I thought my outcomes were okay, but could have been better. My x-rays looked okay, but there was room for improvement. And, and I think we're always looking for ways to do stuff better. So some ideas came to me about why don't we change this, about maybe changing the shape of the glenoid component or changing some of the tools we use to put the implants in or out a, a little bit easier. And I think that that was essentially the, uh, the original inspiration for, for trying to do things a little different. So, you know, it's interesting. And when it comes to deciding, okay, so you see that there's a problem and you're just, you're going to come up with a solution. Uh, more often than not, the path for most entrepreneurial or innovative orthopedic surgeons is to team up with large medical device and sort of share your ideas, you know, get a whiteboard out and start working together on a project and perhaps maybe you collect royalties, something like that. There are you know, the, the rare birds that start from the beginning and then take it right through, you know, patent collection, uh, in through the FDA process and all of that. So, you know, as you decided, so just to let everyone know that the catalyst system was a total shoulder system that, that you developed. And, and 
if I'm not mistaken, I, I need to hear this or, or not, but Bill said you started off in your garage. Is that, is that correct? Actually, it started off in my kitchen. <laughs> okay. Um, if we can think about what, it, what an ideal joint replacement would be, right? If, if, imagine if you could, if all our joint replacements, if you, where we are now, we make incisions, we, we make cuts, we put implants on, we close the patient up and then we do rehab, right? Imagine if the ideal replacement was we, we go in there and we just squirt on a new surface without doing any surgery, without doing any, any cuts, the patient would walk out with a with a new knee or a new shoulder, and and everything's good again. Right? If you put that as as the ultimate goal in the end, right? There was this stuff we had called magic shell growing up that you would pour on top of ice cream, and it would create this 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 smooth black chocolate shell on top of your ice cream that essentially was, was similar to like a, a new replacement to a to the surface of a joint, like a new cartilage layer. Sort of use that as the inspiration. We can't do that really with joints, but what if we could what if we could get as close as possible or how close can we get? And I thought, well, when I'm watching people do knee replacements, which is reference to the end of the distal femur, where the meaning that the 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 joint replacement gets put right on the end of the femur exactly where it was before, and you have a series of instruments to to cut the to cut the knee in the exact location and the exact size of bone resection matches the thickness of implant put on, you end up with a, a, a good joint replacement. Well, we tried that, that similar concept with, with a shoulder. We said, well, what, instead of making a typical osteotomy, you cut the head off, and then you, you do all these things with a stem, and you hope that at the end result looks close to what you started with, really with no reference points. What if we try to do that with a shoulder that was more like a knee replacement? So actually started in my kitchen with an onion. I, I had an onion. I started making cuts with the onion and trying to piece those pieces back together. And how, how can we sort of put this onion back together so it, it looked like the shape it started with? And I have some pictures of that that people love to, to see. But we tried to, to essentially do the same thing um, in a shoulder replacement surgery with multiple cuts on the, the distal end or the proximal end of the, of the humerus, and then placing an implant on that was the same size as the bone cuts you made in a non-spherical shape because the, the humerus is really more elliptical than it is round. And, and how good can we can we make that reproduction to look like the old one? And if you hold those pictures side to side, the, the before and the after, you know, can you get that sort of magic shell effect where it's the same thing with a new surface, but the exact same shape? And we started doing this in cadavers and we realized that this really works well. And then we we, we did a bone simulation with, in, in a CAD model and, and we found it was incredibly accurate in reproducing that anatomy. I took that idea to show a, a few people in industry at the AOS meeting in 2013. I, I went through the exhibitor book and I, I basically sought out any company that, that either made joint replacements or worked on the design of joint replacements. And I had about 10 different meetings, most of them with all the big companies and then a, a few independent people. And, and through a series of rejections, um, most of the major companies turned me down, but some of the smaller groups, specifically one group of engineers said, you know what, this is a really neat idea. We really like this. Uh, all we do is, is uh, do projects like this with surgeons or do projects like this with industry. Uh, we saw about 50 different people pitching to us at the academy this year, and this really was probably the best thing we'd saw this year. And we'd like to go forward with you on this. So I ultimately worked with that company for a year developing this, my first couple sets of tools and, and 
um, and instruments and implants that, that we made on a 3D printer and developed into a, a relatively full joint replacement system. Took it back to the Academy in 2014, again, showed some of these major companies and again, got, got turned down by pretty much all the big names that you can think of. And at that point, that company itself actually was sort of going uh, into some financial straits and they ended up going under. But some of the engineers that I had worked with said, this is a really neat idea. And they had ex industry experience. And they said, you know, for a relatively modest amount of money, you can get this FDA cleared. This is this one is simple enough and the path is straightforward enough and we can show you how to do it. And you follow this 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 playbook. And in probably about one or two years, you might be able to get FDA clearance. And then your then your idea really has some legs. It really has merit at that point. So I, I had an engineer and I had what's called a quality uh, engineer and a, and a regulatory consultant and a supply chain consultant. And we started meeting every Friday uh, by, by Zoom or actually it was GoToMeeting. And week by week, we went through this project with sort of the, the long-term plan in mind. And about two years later, we ultimately got this, this product FDA approved, raising money along the way. And here we are. So, you know, this sounds like a Guy Raz episode of how I built this. I'm not sure if you listen to that podcast, but, you know, invariably, whenever people come up with, you know, new ideas and new concepts, for the most part, they're, they're kicked out of the room because, you know, people don't have the foresight to be able to try and think about innovation in something new. So I think it's fascinating that, you know, you went through this process. One of the other things that I, that I think is also really remarkable, which I think oftentimes is a failure within the medical device industry is that oftentimes you'll have doctors try to come up with ideas or you'll have large medical device equipment companies have engineers designing ideas, but the doctors and the engineers may not be working together. And it's sort of, you know, you need a test pilot if you're going to be able to build a plane. And the same thing goes if you're going to build a device that's going to be surgical. So I'm, 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 I'm not surprised and actually very pleased to hear that this was an engineering combination process. So, so then, you know, so you're going through, did you form a company at that point with these engineers as you're going through the FDA approval process, or were you guys just sort of working loosely together? So we were, we were working loosely together. We did have to form a company for the purposes of fundraising because we ultimately needed to bring on investors. First, it started with myself and, and family uh, and then I, I took this idea and the first couple of tools and I, I showed it to some of my peers and some of my orthopedic surgery colleagues. And this is where Dr. Levine and Dr. Biliani and kind of the network of my fellowship really, really came through for me because, because Dr. Biliani and Dr. Levine said, hey, you, you this has got a great idea here, but you need to get some feedback from some of the other guys and gals who have done our fellowship and that, and really that's what I did. I kind of went up and down the chain of the people who had done the fellowships before me and after me and talked to about 20 different surgeons and, and got their feedback. Some of it good, some of it bad. And actually the bad feedback was probably more valuable than the good feedback because the, the bad feedback is what made you change and improve because that's, that's how you improve on anything in life is when you criticize, get criticized or you have stumbling block or something, it, it forces you to, to better yourself. So we kept taking that feedback and improving the system and improving the system. Ultimately the point where some of the doctors themselves decided that they wanted to, to invest and from the feedback from them and the positive reinforcement that they were willing to put their money behind it. In addition to myself, is when we were able to get investment from some larger groups and some some individual private investors, and the company was formed at that time, um, 
the company was was formed and our big first round of fundraising was all sort of completed right around the same time as we got our FDA clearance. And then we started doing surgeries in 2016. And we've now just about five years from our, we're one month shy from our first five-year patient coming back. Oh, that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think so many it's so often that the different subspecialties within within orthopedics or, or other areas, you sort of take ideas from one and you move it to another. And, you know, for the listeners, as a general rule, when you underwent a total shoulder, you basically would just sort of lop off the ball of the ball and socket. And then you'd put this big piece of metal down into the to the shaft of the humerus, which was like a stem and this large piece of metal that went in. And it really didn't fit very well, but we sort of put it in there. Uh, obviously, we got better as time went on. Uh, but like you said, with a knee replacement, you fashion the, the the implant directly to the end of the bone and, and leaving so much more of the healthy bone behind, uh, which is really your concept. So it's almost like a cap that goes on over top. I love the magic shell concept. I think that's great. Steve, we always like to make sure that my mother and all the other regular listeners understand what we're talking about, you know, beyond the, the deep techniques. But uh, and then, you know, so really terrific. I mean, so are we allowed to ask? I mean, I'm just curious because we have a lot of listeners that are in the medical device space. I mean, how much money did it take you to get across the finish line for FDA clearance on this project? This project to get FDA clearance uh, ultimately took about a million, million and a half dollars. And that was money contributed by myself and, and family and, and friends. And then uh, a good number of orthopedic surgeons and and that got us to the to the finish line but in reality getting your fda clearance and getting across the finish line is is really was just the beginning and and starting the starting a company and, and hiring staff and, and salespeople uh, is really where the, where the money uh, starts uh, getting used and, and people have told me you know, time and time again early on they said this is going to take a lot longer and a lot more money than you'd ever expect uh, and I was blissfully unaware or ignorant of, of everything that they had said, but proceeded on anyway, based on some positive reinforcement. Uh, but they were totally right. I mean, it is an absolute, um, uh, it is a long and an expensive journey uh, to to get a company off the ground. And um, it's exciting to see where it goes, but uh, it is is certainly not uh, without its ups and its downs. And if you ever read anything about entrepreneurship or, or those books about it, uh, it's totally right. It is an absolute roller coaster. There are some some highs that are phenomenal and you're high-fiving each other. And then there's some days that are the worst of the worst. And sometimes both of those occur on the same day. Uh, it is yeah, there, there is no playbook. I mean, as the chief medical medical officer and founder of OrthoLasers, we're developing franchises across the country. I mean, we it's exactly what it is. I mean, no one's telling you how to do this, but it's a labor of love if you believe in it. And if you, you know, you just you, you just have the courage to try something new and different. And if you really believe in your idea, then as a general rule, you keep moving forward. You're moving more forwards than you are backwards. And then eventually it becomes, uh, you know, what it is. You're 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 on the floor of the uh, AOSSM and a meeting and people are surrounding your booth and people are talking about what you're doing. And I'm assuming, you know, you're, you've got five-year follow-up at this point, which is getting into the real world of arthroplasty follow-up, and I'm assuming you're satisfied with your patient outcomes to date? We actually got our first study published in, in Journal Shoulder Elbow Surgery. It was uh, accepted for publication late last year. It's been published digitally, and it'll be in the print version uh, in about a few months, they say. Um, but our, that's our first sort of two to three-year outcomes with, the, with this prosthesis. 
um, obviously with research and the data collection, everything. So everything trails behind, but we're, we're starting to get uh, our first four year, first five year patient will come back next month. Uh, I've got a number of patients at three years and four years. Um, the patients are, are doing remarkably well. Uh, the, the humeral prosthesis that, that design, it, it really is based on the femoral component of a total knee arthroplasty, which is the most successful part of the knee replacement too. It has the best long-term longevity and the least rates of loosening. Uh, but you're, you're totally right about the, the whole, the entrepreneurial aspect of this, where it is, there is no playbook. It's, it's very different from, from medical school and residency. Medical school has a curriculum that's very well-defined. Their programs are accredited. They know that if you spend four years in medical school and do these classes, that at the end of it all, uh, you'll come out a pretty competent and well-trained physician. And the same thing for your residency. There's a nice curriculum that teaches you most of the major areas you need to know about. But with with entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, there's really nothing. And you are completely uh, at the mercy of, of the people you surround yourself with and the contacts you make. Uh, it is is definitely a, a uh, interesting and challenging uh, route to go. Yeah, no, that that's fantastic. And as, as we're sort of coming to a close, Steve, I think it would be great if you could, you know, provide our listeners maybe, you know, something, a nice piece of advice for the innovators out there that are considering they have this great idea and, and what your, your advice would be for them to be able to make that come to, uh, to reality. So I think, I think my uh, advice would be uh, for surgeons who have an idea or physicians who have an idea. First of all, don't, don't be afraid to, to talk about your idea. I think a lot of us are, are, very paranoid or worried that if we just divulge your thing, then someone's going to steal it and roll with it. And they're going to make a billion dollars on your idea. Uh, it's pretty well shown that, that the more you talk about your idea, one, the better it gets. Cause no matter how good you think your idea is there, there's going to be something about it. There's some way it needs to be improved. So you've got to talk about it and you've got to get feedback from, from your peers. Even if you file a, a patent or haven't filed a patent yet, uh, talk about it to some close friends and, and uh, get it improved. And, and then use, use your network, use your fellowship network or your residency network or your, your local colleagues uh, to give you those ideas. Um, and then I think it's really worth trying to make your idea as, as formal of an idea or as a professional of an idea as possible. So what I mean by that is take it from the napkin phase to the physical model. If it's, if it's a device or something like that. I, I think really one of the keys of, like I said earlier, I went to this booth and I was one of 50 people who pitched an idea to this engineering company. And I think the reason why they ultimately chose my project of all the projects that year was that I came there with, with well-made 3D printed models. I had a very professional PowerPoint presentation. I sort of showed up with, with something that looked closer to the end of the project as opposed to just the beginning of the project. Uh, the more you can make this look like a real thing, the more people are going to take you and your and your product seriously, just like a, a good looking website versus a, a bargain basement website. It, it really has a similar effect. Uh, if you're looking for some advice from docs, there's this group, I, I and I know you're in it too, this ortho founders group that was started by, by Will Kurtz and Mike Havig, who's actually in my town. Uh, it's a group of, of orthopedic surgeons who are very passionate about this stuff. And, and I think everybody does a phenomenal job of, of supporting each other and giving each other ideas. And, and there's a multitude of different things you need advice on, whether it's financial, whether it's engineering, whether it's marketing, 
uh, and there's enough people in that group that are, that are willing to, to lend advice. I, I think that's a great resource. If, if, if the listeners uh, haven't tapped into that, that Orthos Founders Group is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, the Ortho Founders Group is great. So again, to summarize what that advice is, so, so don't be afraid to share your idea. Innovators like to talk to other innovators. Uh, then network your idea so that other people can help you to shape your idea and give you advice and counsel. And then don't be afraid to make your idea so you can show it to others. So I think that's great counsel, Steve. I think you know this is what we do in the Ortho Show. We bring really remarkable orthopedic surgeons from completely different walks of life. Here's a private practitioner uh, who has become an innovator and entrepre- entrepreneur and has developed a brand new, uh, really uh, remarkable total shoulder replacement. And so it's really been a pleasure to have you on, Steve. And I know our listeners are going to really appreciate this episode. Thank you very much. My pleasure. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.